All right. If you have your uh, Bible, let's go ahead and open it up to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1, if you don't have a Bible and you would like a free one, we'd love to gift that to you. There's some in the back. Just raise your hand and uh, Luke will gladly run one your way. Um, so so last week we, we opened up uh, a series as we walked through uh, the, the letter, the epistle of Hebrews. And uh, really, as we got started, uh, we only made it three verses because it's, it's um, because what we found was something that was worth settling in for uh, and understanding because it sets the tone for the re- the entirety of this letter. Uh, and we, we, we wrestled with two things. We saw them at play right out of the gate. Two things became very clear that number one, we have a heavenly father who speaks. Uh, not just started speaking, but has been speaking in, in all moments uh, of our story. Uh, he speaks, and in, in what he says has not changed uh, really throughout the chapters of mankind's history. Uh, that, that when God speaks, it draws our attention to his glory. And really what it does is it draws our attention to our need to be reconciled to Him. And, and so when it comes to the Bible, we need to understand the intention of the words behind it because a lot of people will, will pick up a Bible and they will say, well, this is a list of do's and don'ts, right? And really, it's much more than that. It's much more significant than that. When we talk about walking through the Bible together, it's because our desire is that we would know that God is telling us something much more than to inform us on on history, that what he's really doing is he's informing us of his heart for us. He, he's informing us about his redemptive story that he's been telling over you. And so, so all throughout the Old Testament, there's a message being taught that simply says this. God comes in and he says, you are my chosen people. I've chosen you. I've chosen to love you. I've chosen to enter covenant with you. And all of it is because I love you. You don't deserve it, but you, I, I, I love you. And so what we saw last week was that when he sends Jesus uh, and Christ does the sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, that, that now, the author of Hebrews will tell us, uh, that God speaks to us through him. Remember he says before, uh, long ago, God spoke to us by the prophets, uh, but now he speaks to us by the Son, which led us to our, our second thought, was that not only do we have a Father who speaks, that we have a Son who reigns. That, uh, and, and we were able to read about the nature of Jesus as He relates to the Father. He is the, the radiance of the glory of God. And it says, after making purification for sins, He ascends, He, he is enthroned uh, in heaven at the Father's right hand. And so, so those words in themselves are worship-invoking. In themselves, they should stir the affections of our hearts. Uh, And the beauty of it is we only made it three verses and we found something worth celebrating, right? Um, Those are just three verses of, if my math is correct, which is sketchy at best, right? There's 303 verses, all right? So we have 300 more to go. Um, but, but really, what lies ahead? And the reason why the author starts this way, because what lies ahead is a case study and a proof that Jesus is greater than 
whatever it is you want to insert. Uh, and so, uh, and this is important for us to take notice of because uh, he begins by inter- the author begins by introducing us to the person of Jesus before teaching us about the work of Jesus. Okay, and I think I think one of the problems we have in Christianity today is is we want to talk about uh, what Christ has done. We jump straight to the work of Christ before talking about the person of Christ, and and so we start talking about what what Jesus has done for us without first understanding his proper role for why he did those things. And, in fact, after all, his identity is revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures as as part of a very linked biblical storyline. In fact, uh, he is the climax of the drama that moves us from Old Testament promise to New Testament fulfillment. And so, so this means that we can't fully understand Jesus' identity without first seeing Him in the context of the story of Israel. So it's all connected. It's all very much connected. So, so, so an old covenant was essentially made obsolete by Jesus' inauguration and His, his mediation, really, of, of the new covenant. And so and Hebrews is going to walk us through that very clearly and very slowly. And so, so the larger narrative is, is, has better revealed when we get to see these things through the lens of Jesus. We get to say, what difference does Jesus make in that area? And so, so Jesus enters our story. Well, really, yes, our narrative is, is creation and then the fall and then our need for redemption and then uh, finding restoration in Jesus because He enters... Uh, as our Creator, our Redeemer, and our Ascended King. And, and so, so now that the author has told us just a little bit about uh, who Jesus is, what he's going to do is uh, he's going to begin laying this case uh, before us. And he's going to come in and he's going to say that Jesus is greater than any religious area you go to seek satisfaction or restoration in. Uh, and understand that, that even... Uh, we're not talking about just churchy kind of things. That that any mode that we find ourselves in, the default the default mode of man, as Martin Luther says, is religion. We look for some order in our lives, and now we can search for that in various. That's like a little duck thing going on over there, all right? Yeah, let's all just wave. Yeah, I love these windows. Um, said no one here. I'm sorry. Um, and so, so, so what he does is, is he brings us through this thing and, and so he's going to start somewhere today that's going to, to me it seems weird. Um, seems strange because we don't, I don't think deal with this as much as the author would have been trying to deal with it in, with the Hebrews. He comes in and he says, let me talk to you about how Jesus is better than an angel. Okay, uh, and so this is important, but again, to me, I've, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see angels as a way of, I don't, I'm not tempted to worship angels, for instance. Uh, but this is a big issue, and so we're going to walk through it together. Uh, and so let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we are so very thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that we have a, a reason to build a life on substance, that being your Son. And so we pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would 
Help us see very clearly how great Jesus is this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, Lawson, let's get this going. We're going to just read our way through verses 4 through uh, 14, but we're going to start in number 3 because it kind of leads us into some momentum. He, okay, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, verse 4, Having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We're going to get to that. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. Uh, in his ministers, a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever endeavored. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse number 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord... Lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Verse 13, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Then verse 14, are they all, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Okay, so, so the first thing we're needing to deal with is recognizing that somehow, okay, in this culture that the author is writing to, um, somehow thinking about angels had gotten out of hand. Uh, in fact, uh, you can tell this because so much of this space uh, is devoted to the writer trying to set things straight. Uh, the, the, almost the entirety of chapter 1 leading into chapter 2 we're going to deal with was angels. It was, a, it was a major issue to set straight. And I wonder, again, uh, if, if perhaps there are times we have an inaccurate view of the role and the proper standing of, of angels, that, uh, that the Bible gives this impression that when, when the angels arrive on the scene, uh, people recognize that these are not people to trifle with. <laughs> these are not beings to trifle with. In fact, the common response to when a person sees an angel is that they fall on their face in reverence. And so, so maybe, maybe, we do, maybe we do, after all, have a, a weird view of angels because when I say angel, right, you typically will go to, depending on how old you are, right, well, there's a show called Touched by an Angel, right? I mean, I'm sure that was very biblically accurate. Uh, what was the uh, that Highway to Heaven? Wasn't he practically a, a guardian angel, right? Quantum Leap, 
Uh, no, that was a different setting altogether. No, okay. We we think of we think of angels in the in the realm of it's a wonderful life and you have a bumbling Clarence, right? Who's so fearful because if if this doesn't work out, then he's not going to get his wings, right? Or we think of precious moment. I used to work at a Lifeway or a Baptist bookstore back in the day, uh, and those those creepy precious moments, little you know chubby diaper people, you know things, and so. So, so what began to happen in the first century was this dangerous exaltation of, of angels in people's lives. Uh, so much to the point that they began to worship the angels. And the author apparent, clearly says we, we need to address this uh, because today the same danger might persist in our lives. And so, so let's measure our thoughts this morning by the measure uh, of the Scriptures. And so, so if we can see it, this is going to prove to be very relevant in our lives, because all throughout these verses, what seems to be something about angels isn't. It's about something about Jesus. Okay? So, so the angels are the backdrop, but Jesus is in the forefront of this. And, and so, so we can see things about Jesus to help us trust Him, to help us worship Him, and it will show us, uh, in verse 14 in particular, that angels are actually sent to serve you as uh, even today for the glory of of God, and the main point, remember, is is verse three that uh, was that Christ sat down at the right hand of the Majesty of God after making a perfect purification for sins, and He's raised from the dead. Now, verse four adds that that Christ did that, and we can celebrate that. We can live inside that, and so He sat down, and He has become much more better than the angels as he has inherited an ex, a more excellent name than theirs. And, and so, so the main thing that happens in verse 4 becomes understanding that Christ is greater than angels. Somebody says, hey, what did y'all talk about at church yesterday? Well, Jesus is better than the angels, uh, both Anaheim and the heavenly ones. Uh, and so uh, he, he's greater. Now the question is, how is he greater? How much is he greater? Than, and that's what the rest of this chapter is going to deal with. And so we're going to give you... A, Four thoughts today about how is Jesus greater than the angels. And all of them are coming straight from these words. Okay, uh, Number one, that he has a more excellent name. He has a more excellent name. Now, what, what does that mean? What, what name did Jesus inherit that shows he's much greater than the angels? Son of God. Very, you cheated. You looked ahead. So... Well, I guess the Son of God. Let's move on. Number two. Uh, I'm just joking. So, so when, when Jesus died, made purification for sin, triumphs over death and Satan, he is enthroned as the king and he's seated at the right hand of God. And, and so when a king is enthroned in the Old Testament, there was this, this commendation uh, that, that now he was formally taking his title, uh, almost like the role of a prince becoming the king. That he is, there was a celebration in the sense that that who you have always been, you are now clearly seen as. And that's what we're walking into. That, that one of the ways this commendation was given was by uh, words spoken by God, that you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Today I have chosen you. That this is why the writer says in verse 5 in response to Christ's enthronement, For to which of the angels did God ever say, 
I love, I love it because he's building this argument. He goes, I just want you to ask. You care so much about the angels. Which of the angels? Just tell me, which one of them did God ever say, you are my son? And I, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So, so both of these are quoted. Uh, one is uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. The other is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And the point of this verse is to tell us what name is so superior to the angels. It's the name Son. Son. That verse 4 says that Christ has inherited a much more excellent name. And so John Piper put it this way. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says that Christ was declared the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. He's always been the Son of God, just like He has always been the heir of all things. But when Christ had made purification for sin and triumphed over death in Satan, Christ was declared Son of God and heir of all things on a new basis and in a new way. Now He reigns as the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only by His eternal right, but now by the right of His victory over sin and death. He is Son of God in manifest power by the resurrection. So, so now, now what happens is the point of verse 5 is to say that God never said such a thing to an angel. And for that matter, He's never said such a thing to you. Now, He might say, I love you. He might say, I care for you. But He will never declare that you are a son of His in the way that He says it to Jesus. And so, no angel sits at God's right hand. Then verse 6 draws out this implication of this truth that makes, makes the degree of the superiority of Jesus to the angels very clear. Verse 6, and again, He brings the firstborn into the world and He says, let all God's angels worship Him. He says, hey guys, worship Him. That brings us to number two. How is Jesus greater than the angels? Well, number two, the angels worship Jesus. That's their role. That's their role. I think, I think this is actually a reference to the second coming of Christ uh, when God brings, when Jesus comes back the second time uh, and it says that all angels and, and every knee will bow, as Paul says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and all creation will eventually worship Jesus. So, so the point of verse 6 is that since Jesus is the Son of God, He's not an angel, but is superior to angels, and all of the angels worship Him. Seems pretty clear. It, it gets really murky here in a minute, just letting you know. Now, now worshiping Jesus is a huge issue. It separates Christianity from Judaism on one side and really any religion on the other side that says Jesus is not to be worshipped. And, and so, 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 so which would make sense because if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then why would you worship Him as the Son of God? And so, so this brings us to verses 7 and 9 because this is exactly what these verses say He is. Of the angels, verse 7, He says, He makes His angels wins and his ministers a flame of fire. That's Psalm 104, verse 4. And then in Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, they say, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The 
the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And, and so, so what the writer says and sees in Psalm 45 is the stunning fact that, that the human king is called God, right? This is a reference to the king of the people. And then in verse 8, and yet in verse 9, God is called His God. Which again, it, yes, your face right there is how I have felt all week. Okay? Mark's like, what? Yeah, we're going to get there, but I don't know if it'll be clear. Alright? I'm just letting you know. And so, so here in the Old Testament it, itself, we, we have a king of whom we have to say God is His God and He is God, right? Right? So, so we have... Telling you, this is gonna be, this is gonna get messy, and then again, might not get clear. So, so let's attempt to say it this way: that the reason Christ is worshipped by angels in verse six is not that Christ is the Son of God like an angel, or or like Christians are, where we are called the sons and the daughters of of God. Okay, so it's not like that because uh, it's because He is the. Son of God in the sense that He is God the Son. Okay, so so this this should drive us to asking some important questions about Jesus in particular. That that number one, do you love Jesus as God? Right? Is it the same affections? Do you say? And I think this shows show an imbalance in our lives when we say, well, I really love Jesus and I kind of tolerate the Father. Right? And that uh, some of that will be because of your own need for therapy regarding your own relationship with your dad. Right? Or some will say, hey, hey, maybe I, I, I love the Father and, man, that Jesus, he's, he's pretty cool too. And what the Bible will always say is these three, these three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are to be worshipped at an equal level. Because neither one of them is more important than the other. All of them are worthy of praise. All of them are are worthy of, of, of worship. And so, so the question is, do you love Jesus as God? Or, or does Jesus hold a place in your life worthy of God? And if we have a desire to spread the fame of God in our words and our actions, do we mean that we have a passion for the fame of Jesus as well? And so, which is why the writer can take like Psalm 102 verses uh, 25 through 27, which refers to God the Creator, and he can apply it to the Son, for the Son is God. So he says this, and you, in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 1, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And so number three, how is Jesus greater than the angels? Well, Jesus is God. He is God. And this is simply drawing out what the author says in verse 2, where, where it said that God made the world through the Son, and only now... He says that, that this means that the Son made the world and that what can be said of God creating can be said of the Son creating. And, and so, Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is God. He is to be worshipped. And, 
And so it, it should affect the way we think of Him. It should stir the affections of our hearts because not only was He sent for a task to sacrifice, but He reigns as a King forevermore. And so the point of this chapter and really of the whole Bible is to make us passionately devoted to the glory of Jesus Christ as our revealer and our ruler and our redeemer and our creator as God. So, so then we get, now I told you, it was going to get messy. Don't know if it was going to get clear. All right? So go find a smarter pastor. Um, so we're going to get one last contrast in, in uh, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. It says this, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And so, so the last one, number four, how is, how is Jesus greater than the angels that the angels are servants. They are servants. They are sent to serve. We return uh, to where we started in verse 3. Christ sat down at the right hand of majesty as king of the universe, as, as their son of God in power and as heir of all things as God. So, so remember, it says in verse 8, your throne is forever. So it doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. There's not a new election. He stays where he is at forevermore, which is why our worship can be devoted to Him. And this seat beside God is the seat of God. And so, so He comes back in verse 13 to triumph, to this triumphant place of the Son. He says, sit at my right hand until I make, I love this, I love this promise, until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. All of them. And the author of Hebrews just looks at us and he goes, God never said that to an angel. Because he would never say that to an angel. But look, look what he says of angels in contrast. He says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? And so, so the contrast, there's really several, that, that Jesus is sitting as king and they are sent as servants. That there's only one king, but there are many servant angels. That there are servants... Uh, they are servants of Christians, those who by faith are inheriting salvation. Christ is the king over the church. Angels do his bidding for the church. And so, so he is very much above these serving angels. But, but how do they serve us, right? Because there's a lot of differing thoughts on how that is played out. Uh, and, and the connection between verses 13 and 14 kind of give us a clue that verse 13 says that while Christ is seated on the throne, something is happening. Something is happening to bring his enemies under his feet like a footstool. Something magical, right? And it wouldn't be magical if it wasn't so true. Or it would be magical if it wasn't so true. So, so what is this that's happening? And one of the things is that angels are sent to serve those who are to inherit salvation. So, in a sense, if you are a believer in Jesus, angels are sent to serve us. But now, not in the Downton Abbey kind of way of serving. Okay? Not just to give you whatever, not just to make this very specific thing happen. They're not genies. Okay? 
So, so they're sent to serve those who are inherent. In other words, um, there are enemies of our salvation. That's what there are. There are forces at work that want to bring the work of Christ to nothing and to make it fail. They do. In fact, enemies uh, that, that want to keep Christians from inheriting salvation. So that could be demons, that can be false ideas, that can be sinful impulses, that can be evil people, etc. You can fill in those blanks. Those things are really, really happening. Okay? The Bible will talk about wars that are waging, uh, that, are, that are raging right now uh, in our very presence in the spiritual realm. And the fight that's happening is happening right here. And so he says that there are, there are enemies trying to destroy the work of Christ in your life, and there are angels sent to protect and to guard and to empower. And so, so God accomplishes two things through His angels. He, he sends them to serve us so that we persevere in faith and inherit our salvation. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite lines and I think it's a little bit later here in Hebrews, um, is, that, is that there are people in the Bible who entertained angels without even knowing it. Without even knowing it. And so it says that, that God cares about us so much that He would send us companions to help in times of need. And then the second thing is that in the angels serving us, the enemies of God are made a footstool for Christ's feet. What an incredible word picture. That literally Jesus could kick back on his throne, put his feet up on his enemies. And some of you are saying, yes, that's what I want right now. Right? I want human footstools. Let's, let's start wrapping this up. So let's step back. Let's sum up kind of where we've been. Because we've been all over the place, right? So, so there, there's some wrong thinking about angels in these churches, especially as they related to Jesus. And, and it may have been a, a lot like, uh, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they kind of think of Jesus as this great um, angel, right? But, but the answer of the writer is simply this, that Jesus is the Son of God and in a way that no angel was ever a Son of God. That, that, that Jesus is not an angel. He's worshipped by the angels. Jesus is not an angel. He is God. Jesus is not an angel. He is the eternal creator of all things. And then he is seated on the throne as the king, and angels are dispatched for the king's bidding, to do the king's bidding. And, and so, so now just notice something very encouraging about our faith uh, in, in what's considered future grace, that God's ministry to us today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives. From, from verses 5 through 14, we've been talking about Jesus' superiority to angels. And, and so one is tempted to ask, why then does God care about creating angels? Right? And so, so here's where I want us to end. And it's a quote from a pastor that I read this week. It says, once you see angels in their proper place, their role is a magnificent one. They have a role toward Christ and they have a role toward the people of Christ. Toward Christ, verse 6 says, their role is to worship. Toward the people of Christ, verse 14 says, their role is to serve and help us reach salvation. Which means if you're willing to let me use this, the familiar language that God 
created angels that His Son might be glorified and His people might be satisfied. So I want to leave you this morning with this truth ringing in your heart that Jesus Christ is infinitely superior to angels. They were created not to compete with Christ, but to worship Christ, to honor Him. And the chief way they do that on the earth is by serving us so that we hold fast to Christ and trust Him and love Him and treasure Him and finally reach Him in the fullness of our salvation. So angels were created for Christ's everlasting glory and for our everlasting joy. Which, as you well know, are not contradictory aims. Because Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It was Piper. That's who wrote it. I couldn't remember who I got it from. The universe is filled with helpers. Christ wants you to be encouraged and hopeful. That's why this chapter ends with this amazing promise that that the heavenly worshipers are all of them. All of them are sent to serve you and to bring you safely home. See, I told you it was a little bit about angels, but it's mainly about Jesus. Because all they do is draw your gaze to Jesus. Which is all we want to do, right? We sing together, build, I will build my life. So the question is, how does Hebrews chapter 1 verses 4 through 14 play itself out? Does it make you understand how much more superior Jesus is? Now, for them it seems to be angels. But what is it in your life that you say, I'm more tempted to worship them than the Son? Because I promise you this, no matter how you insert that, no matter what you insert in that place of worship, the same argument state remains. We could join like the, the writer and say, well, which of them, whatever that is, to which angel did God ever say, you are my son? Which one? And I promise you, no matter how you, if, if angels is your thing, then I think you can relate very easily, Right? But if something else is your thing, I think you can ask the same question. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you care about us, that you love us, that you've shown us, and you're, you're showing us in your word the very specific role of superiority that your son has in our lives. And I pray that you would continue to make that very clear to us. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would not leave this building without coming to you, confessing their sin, repenting, declaring their need for Jesus to be both their Savior and their Lord. Pray today we would be able to see death come back to life. Father, I pray for those in our room that just they just need support. 
I pray You would draw them out of isolation, that they would walk in community here. Father, we thank You. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.